Well, I have to say, this is my favorite Sunday of the year. The one where the daylight savings, you know, shifts and everything, and you get an extra hour of sleep. I spend all day Saturday just feeling good about that. Because <laughs> <clears throat> I know I'm going to get an extra hour. It's exciting. God is good. All the time. All, the time. all right. I'm glad you're here this morning. I can't think of anything else, maybe, that uh, we ought to be saying, so I'm just going to jump right into this. If someone were to ask you, what is the greatest need of the church and of individual Christians today, what would you say? What is the greatest need of the church and individual Christians? I, I suppose some people might say, well, we need to be, uh, the greatest need would be that we get busy evangelizing, that we do a whole lot more outreach. And another person might say, well, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And someone else might say, well, we, we just need to understand. We need a greater understanding, a deeper understanding of the Scripture. And some would say, well, it's unity, it's forgiveness, it's love, it's grace. Some people might say, we need more sacrificial giving. It would make such a huge difference. Some might say better leadership or servant attitude. And certainly all those things are important, and I, I think we probably need more of every one of them. Uh, and probably every church in the country needs more of all those things. Don't doubt that. But I want you to listen to the words of 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, we can make a strong case that faith in Jesus Christ, stronger faith, greater faith, deeper faith, is the greatest need of the church and Christians in this 21st century. John says that our victory over the world is tied directly to our faith in Christ. And so, having said that, I, I know that all of us need, have, uh, feel that need of more faith, deeper faith, greater faith. So how do I get more faith? And what I want to do this morning is just give you five scriptural, practical things that we could do that would help us to increase our faith and make our faith stronger. The first one is to get into the Word of God. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, this is from the NIV, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Or, we know it better like this, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But what he's telling us here is that, you know, faith begins with the word. Faith is generated by the word. And so there's power in the word of God to produce faith in the reader or the hearer. I want to give you just a couple places in the New Testament where that's, that's illustrated. The first one is at the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's describing their worship service there. And, of course, they have a problem there. Uh, some people wanted to speak in tongues, which meant that uh, some of the people there would not be able to understand what was being said. But he says, if, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy... And this prophesying he's talking about is the, perhaps the same message, but just being given in the local language, the language that everyone understood. 
But if all prophesy, if we teach so that people can understand, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is, look what happens when the word is preached. He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And so here's an example of how just hearing the word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And here's the word of God, that there was a revelation from God in the things being said there by prophecy or by tongues. And by simply hearing that word and being able to understand it, all of those things happen. Convicted by all, called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, you will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I say that's a, <clears throat> that's a huge effect, and it comes from the preaching of the word. And sometimes, uh, I mean, it's not just uh, hearing the word, but it can be about reading the word also. And so there's an example of this in the last verses of John chapter 20, John 20, 30, and 31. John's kind of looking back over, his, uh, over the whole gospel, what he's, what he's just written, and he has this to say. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, John's talking about writing. Well, what do you do with writing? When something's written down, the only way you can get it is to read it. So that's why I'm, this is an example of how reading can do something for you, reading the word. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. Why did, why, did you, why did you write these down, John? So that we could read them. But so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so <clears throat> here's an example of how just simply reading the word can help us uh, generate faith or have a greater faith. I don't know how many of you um, l- have listened to the John Clayton series. It, you know, it's, it's been around for quite a long time. But there's, there's one little, uh, there's 24 videotapes in that thing. And when I'm saying videotapes, you know it's been, been a while. <laughs> but the number 24 is about his conversion. And I think, to me, that's the most interesting one of all. And the reason why is because John Clayton uh, started off as an atheist. He was raised by a couple parents who were active atheists. They were, uh, they were friends and associates, co-workers of Mary, uh, what was her name, Madeline O'Hare, Mary Madeline O'Hare. And so uh, in his home, he was never exposed to anything religious other than just, you know, maybe things that might be said against it. But he goes off to college, and he, tell, he tells a story on the tape. And he said he was in a particular class with the professor, uh, just kind of out of the blue, just held up the Bible and said, you know, there's no reason for you to believe this thing. This thing is full of contradictions. And of course, John is coming from that same perspective and he's, he, you know, he agrees. But after the class, he goes up to that professor and he says, you know, I, I agree with what you said, but do you have a list? Have you got something marked or something like that that I could look at or I could, you know, all the contradictions and all the things that's wrong in the Bible? And the professor said, no, I don't. And so John decided that that list needed to be made. And so he began to read, and he read uh, during the course of his uh, two or three years in college there. I don't know how much longer he had there. He read, the, read through the Bible several times, looking for contradictions, problems, things that were errors of some sort, just proof that this was a flawed document. It was not from God. And the bottom line is this. He ended up converting himself. 
he ended up becoming a Christian. Same thing happened to uh, Sir William Ramsey. In, in the late 19th century, Sir William Ramsey was a, a famous archaeologist and historian, and he was a skeptic. And he wanted to show, um, he wanted, you know, like I said, he was an historian and all that, but he did not believe the Bible, and he wanted to write a, write a book about the missionary journeys of Paul and show that the missionary journeys of Paul had to be bogus, that it was all made up, that uh, he was going to check all the details that were there in, in, in the book, in the book of Acts, and then he was going to go to the, each one of these places, and he's going to hunt and search and everything, either confirm or disprove everything that Paul had written about those missionary journeys. Well, it happened again. Sir William Ramsey ended up converting himself by his study of the book of Acts and his travel behind Paul's missionary journeys. When we expose our hearts and minds to the word of God, whether it's by reading it or hearing it or studying it or whatever, we're giving God the opportunity to create and strengthen faith in us. And so that's one of the most practical things you can do if you want to increase your faith or strengthen your faith. Just begin to read daily. Take some in. Here's the second thing we can do. We can pray for more faith. Two times in the Gospels, you'll find people, uh, we find people struggling with their faith in Jesus. Actually, there's more than this, but these are the two times I want to talk about this morning. And in those incidents, something is said or something happens that indicates that God is very willing to give us more faith if we'll just ask. So in Mark chapter 9, you have this father who has a demon-possessed son. And the father, first of all, takes this demon-possessed boy to the disciples. He doesn't want to bother the big guy, you know. He's going to take him to the disciples. The disciples work with him, pray for him, do all kinds of things with him, and nothing's happening. The demon stays within the boy. And uh, he realizes he's going to have to go see Jesus. Jesus calls for him. Come on over. And uh, he said to Jesus, uh, you know, uh, your disciples could not uh, get this demon out of my boy. About that, about that time, the boy goes into a, a, a seizure, a convulsion, whatever. And that was, that was how this demon manifests himself. Anyway, the father brought the boy to Jesus, and he immediately went into a seizure. And here's the conversation that I want you to look at between Jesus and his father. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I, I like how Jesus... <laughs> What Jesus says back to him. Jesus said to him, if you can. If you can. And, and, and I guess what Jesus is trying to say, you know, I, I'm not the issue here. That's not the problem. <laughs> it's not whether I can. You better believe I can. The big, the big issue is whether you believe I can. And, it says, and so Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and he said, listen to this. He's saying this to Jesus. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, there's a prayer there. It's a short prayer. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Give me more faith. I know I need more faith. I know I need more faith for you to do what you're, what you're about to do. And I think there's a great lesson in, in that, just that little story right there, that when our faith is weak, we can turn to God and ask for more faith greater faith, stronger faith. 
And then the other incident I wanted you to think about is in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is with his disciples. They seem to be alone. And he's given them some hard teaching. And so chapter 17, verses 3, 4, and 5, here's what it says. Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's hard. I mean, most of us, even if we see, when we see somebody doing something wrong, well, that's none of my business. Even if they sin against us, we may not even say anything. We just don't want to fight. And so if your brother sins, rebuke him. That's hard. And it says, and if he repents, forgive him. That's hard too. And then here's the one that got him though. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, punch him in the nose. Oh, wait, no. That's Steve Miller version. <laughs> this is the Holy Bible here. This is Jesus. And he comes to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. That's really hard. Seven times in one day. And the apostles said to the Lord, they knew how hard it was. Increase our faith. Give us more faith. There's a great lesson in this, that little piece of scripture right there. We can always turn to the Lord and we say, increase our faith. Give us more faith, deeper faith, greater faith, tougher faith. And then in Jude chapter 20, it's, it's one of those one-chapter books, so all you get is Jude and the number of the verse. And I want to read this to you because I, I think this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And what, and what, he, what he's saying there, and it goes on. I mean, I, I've cut it off there in the middle of the uh, keep yourselves close to the Lord is what the next words say. Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves close to the Lord. But right there, he said, build yourselves up in your holy faith. And how would I do that? Praying in the Holy Spirit. And again, he says, he's telling you how to build up. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So you build up your faith, and here's how you do it. You pray in the Holy Spirit. No one in this universe is more concerned about our faith than God is. He wants us to have faith. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to have greater faith, deeper faith, better faith, stronger faith. And he is able to strengthen and increase our faith, and he wants to do that. But there's something else that he wants too. He wants us to want more faith, and he wants us to ask for it. And so prayer is a way, just a practical way of strengthening our faith, asking God to strengthen what we have. Here's number three. Take what faith you have and use it. I want to read to you again the words from James chapter 2. That was our scripture reading for this morning. And uh, so it'll take a, just a minute here to, to read this. But here's what James says. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. We're going to come back to these two verses in just a minute. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, 
And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Verse 26. Go for one more, one more verse there, Matt. There we go. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So also faith without works is dead. Three times in this passage that we've read here, uh, Paul or James has said faith is dead without works or faith is useless without works. There's, there's the last one right there, verse 26. But you look at verse 17, verse 20, and verse 26. What he says, you know, uh, works are necessary for faith. And so faith ought to do something. There's something that faith is expected to do, and that is to obey, to get busy, and to do some things. And faith begins to die when we quit using it, when we quit working with it. And so I want to go back to verses 21 and 22. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was, and here's the word I want you to look at, perfected, completed, matured, changed, grown. I mean, all of those words could, all, all those ideas coalesce in that last word right there, perfected. It was something more because of what he had done. And I want you to think about this for just a minute or two. Obedience does something to our faith that is important. I mean, we know, generally speaking, it's, we start with faith, and faith produces works. Faith produces obedience. Faith does that sort of thing. So, you know, we understand that side of the equation. But here's the other side of it, because this is actually a wheel that rolls. Because once you've obeyed, it feeds back to your faith, and your faith is perfected. It's changed, it's grown, it's matured. And then you have more faith to work with. And so you do something else. And in, and in, in that obedience, in that work, that's it, it feeds back to your faith again, and it's perfected again, matured, completed. And it, it's almost like a, the muscle in a human body. You know, if you take a, a perfectly healthy person and lay them down in a bed for a couple of weeks, uh, their legs are like rubber when you try to get them up. They haven't used their muscles. And so it takes a while to get, you know, to get all that going again. The same thing happens with faith. If you do not use faith, if your faith is not busy doing something, your faith begins to deteriorate. It begins to die. But the more you do with your faith, the greater your faith becomes. And so faith is, like I said, like a muscle in your leg or arm. And even though uh, <clears throat> that's how you get more faith. Just take your faith and do something with it. Can there be any doubt that Abraham's faith was stronger after he offered up Isaac on the altar there? That's the example we're being given when Isaac was, or when Abraham was commanded by God to go to Moriah, a faraway place, and offer up his son on an altar. After Abraham had actually tied that boy up and done everything but put the knife in his ribs, you know, God stopped him. That was God's, that was God's intent to stop him. But in Abraham's heart, he had done it. Look at the language there. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up 
It states it as if it actually happened. Like it was an accomplished fact. It was accomplished in his heart. He was going to do it if God didn't stop him. And after that whole thing is over, don't you think that maybe Abraham's faith was completed, perfected, strengthened, matured, different, greater, stronger? I think so. I mean, we could just go right on through the Bible and talk about this. You know, Peter, Peter was a man of great faith when he went out on the Sea of Galilee in the boat. But it was even greater faith after he got out and walked in the water. Jesus called him to him. Peter gets out and he walks on the water. Now, I know there wasn't necessarily a, 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 a great ending there for him. But, but don't, can you doubt that his, faith was, that his faith was greater after all that had happened? It changed his faith. He had a greater faith, a stronger faith. What about Joshua's faith? Joshua's, can you doubt that Joshua's faith was stronger after he circled Jericho the last time and watched the walls fall down? I mean, if you stop and think about what they were doing, they were marching around the walls, blowing horns. That was it, beating drums. Just marching, marching, marching. What good is that going to do? That's some kind of unconventional warfare. That's crazy. Probably felt like a fool. Some of the time, anyway. And I can see those, uh, those Canaanites up there on top of that wall just la- laughing at them. You guys are crazy. <laughs> but, but Joshua made the last trip around the wall of Jericho. He saw it fall down. Don't you think his faith might have been a little stronger after that happened? That somehow that obedience fed back and strengthened his faith? Then there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't you think that maybe their faith was stronger after they were escorted out of the fiery furnace by an angel? I think so. And what about Esther's faith? I mean, it took a lot of faith for her to walk into the court of the king uninvited and live to tell about it. She walked in anyway and lived to tell about it. Don't you think, don't you think that her faith was stronger after she did what she did? That somehow it changed it, matured it, increased it, made it deeper? I certainly do. Don't you think that David's faith was stronger after he went out and confronted Goliath and saw the guy fall? He goes over and lops his head off. I just have this suspicion that somehow what happened there in the obedience that David gave, and in each one of these cases, in each one of these cases, the obedience that they gave, the work that they did, fed back to their faith, and their faith was greater after the work than it was before. I think that's how it works. In every case, when faith is tested, used, put under pressure, it will come out stronger in the end. So if you want more faith, here's practical suggestion number three. Take what you have and do something with it. You may not have great faith, but you have enough to do something with. There's something you can do with that little little bit that you've got. And so test it. Try something for Jesus that uh, stretches you. I mean, I've, I've watched uh, several men here over the course of time get up and read the scripture for the first time or say a prayer for the first time or maybe even preach or, or teach a class for the first time. I think about uh, the Thanksgiving services. You know, we're going to have that right at the end of the month here. And I've, I, I know there are guys who got up here, they were very nervous about that. But they stretched themselves. And their faith was greater after they did that than it was before. They had enough faith to go do it. And once they had done it, their faith was greater. 
Stretch yourself. Speak up at work to a coworker about Jesus. Invite him to church. I think about uh, Mark Gamp. I remember that first uh, father-daughter Valentine gala. That was a pretty gutsy thing to do, okay? The, uh, what he had in mind there, but he wanted to have that uh, as a community event, something that would be nice. He had some daughters, too, that he wanted to be part of it. And so, so he started that thing. And it, there, there was a, it took faith to get started, but after that first one was over, I guarantee you that Mark's faith was greater at that point than it was before. So if you want more faith, take what you have and use it. Put it to work. And when you, when you get done, you'll have more. Here's number four. Hang out with people who have real faith. Hang out with people who have real faith. Early in Louis Armstrong's uh, career, and you know, Louis Armstrong was a great trumpet player, but when he was just a very young man and not, not as good as he became, Louis Armstrong went to talk with someone that he kind of idolized, who was more, much more advanced than he was at that point. And what this man said to Louis, uh, Louis said, how can I get better? What do I have to do? And this is what the man said to him. If you want to get better, you have to hang out with the cats that are better than you are. Meaning, you've got to, you've got to sit in these sessions with these guys who know what they're doing and find out what they're doing. And start, start working with that. Just make that your own. We're influenced by the people that we associate with. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, we can be influenced in the wrong way. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, that's just a bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, we're being influenced in the wrong way sometimes. Proverbs 13 and 20 is a verse that talks about the right way. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so it's the people that we hang out with, the people we associate with, are going to have an influence over us, either good or bad. And if you want to have more faith, then be around people who have faith. That's one of the reasons. I mean, that's one of the things that happens when we're here in our assemblies. We're trying to feed off of each other's faith and, and grow each other's faith. It's the reason we have a teen group. It's the reason we have uh, intermission. It's one of the reasons that Christian colleges exist, that Christian youth camp, Fort Hill camp exists. It's one of the reasons they're going to take off for Spirit Fest here in a, in a week or two. It's uh, another reason. It's the reason why we're going to, in February going to take off for Winterfest. It's the reason why people go to Tulsa and other great workshops and things like that. They want to go hang out with people that will build up their faith. And part of these things that I'm mentioning here are not just for what's taught, but it's so that we can be with people of like faith and stronger faith. And that brings me to number five. Take note of how faith in Jesus Christ impacts the people around you. All right? I want to turn to Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. What's happening in Acts chapter 4? In chapter 3, Peter uh, healed, or made a lame guy walk, and he preached there. And the, the authorities found out about this. He preached in the name of Jesus. They found out about it. And at the beginning of chapter 4, they, they arrest him and John. They bring him before the Sanhedrin or, or some members of the council. And basically they said, hey, uh, uh, we don't want you to talk like this anymore. We're going to let this one pass. We're going to let this go. 
but don't do that ever again. It'll be trouble for you. So Peter and John get up and go out. And um, this is what it says about them, about Peter and John, about that council as they watch Peter and John go. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. In other words, when these people looked at Peter and John, they saw some of Jesus inside of these, inside of these men. It wasn't education or training or anything like that that made them, made them notable, but it was the fact that they were so much like Jesus. They could see it. And that's what I'm saying to you. It, it, it was obvious to everyone around that Peter and John were, were different. They were different because they'd been with Jesus. And if you want more faith, I think we have to start to notice how faith in Jesus Christ is changing the people around us and the difference that it makes. You'll find yourself wanting to step out on in faith and do something new and exciting and challenging for Jesus yourself when you're with those kind of people. I've uh, listened to Bobby Havens uh, read scripture many times here, and uh, I haven't heard him read lately. But I remember when I first came here, Bobby was up Sunday nights, Wednesday nights sometimes to read a, a piece of scripture. And uh, what Bobby was doing was he's taking his faith and he was doing something with it. It was, it was a powerful example. And, of course, if Bobby can do this, I think probably any man or boy in the congregation ought to be able to do that also. But anyway, my point is this. If you want more faith, start noticing how faith in Jesus Christ is changing people. When Bobby became a Christian, it began to change him. He, he became different. He became brave enough to stand up and read scripture for us. And I, I, I see people like that from time. I, I can mention a few others that have really impressed me. I've, I've been spending a lot of time with Jim Young lately. And, uh, you know, uh, some people think I go over to see Jim because he needs it. And the reason I go over to see Jim is because I need it. I need to be around people who have faith. And he has faith. So if you want more faith, start noticing how faith in Jesus Christ is changing people around here and wherever you might find them. And so I, I just want to give you the, leave you with those five things to think about. Just practical, scriptural-type suggestions. If you know you need more faith, these are some things you can do to get more. Well, the word of God has been preached here today, and I'm going to ask you a question. Have you heard? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And if you are a Christian already, I hope that what you've heard, the word of God that you've heard, has strengthened your faith and given you more faith. But maybe you are not a Christian. And to remind you again, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. And maybe something has happened here this morning in the proclamation of the word. You have been convicted by all. You've been called to account for all. You've, you've fallen on your face and you acknowledge that God is among these people. And maybe this morning is your day to stand up and walk down to the front here and say, I want to become a child of God. That would be the most wise decision you could ever make, the best decision you could ever make. And before we leave this building here this morning, we just want to give you the opportunity 
to come before us to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, to repent of your sins, to, confess, uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and to become a child of God. And we can take care of all that before you leave. And so as we stand and sing this hymn of invitation, if you need to respond,